Your maker is your husband. The Lord Almighty is his name. You shall no longer be termed forsaken, but you shall be called Hephzibah, meaning my delight in her. For the Lord delights in you. As the bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so shall your God rejoice over you. I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul should be joyful in my God, for he has clothed me with garments of salvation. As a bridegroom decks himself with ornaments, and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. Our text today is Isaiah 61 through 63, 6, and the above reading covers, actually, Isaiah verses 54, 5, 62, 4, and 5, and 61, 10. They may be seen as part of the Lord's marriage course for his people. I found these excerpts from our passage put together in Anne Graham Lotz's Daily Light for March 7th, a few Thursdays ago. And that reading goes on to quote from Hosea 2.19 and Romans 8.35. I will betroth you to me forever. Yes, I will betroth you to me in righteousness and justice, in loving kindness and mercy. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? So many, uh, if not most of you, are or have been married. I have not been. But this is God's betrothal message to all of us. I the wed. Though we may feel forsaken when our disobedience carries us into exile, God does not annul his marriage vow, nor does he divorce us. We are a covenant people of an everlasting covenant, 61.8. In other words, God says we are a married people, Beulah. That's what the word means. We are also, as such, the redeemed of the Lord. We have been clothed in bridal clothes, the garments of salvation. Salvation, as you might know, is related to the word salvage. God says we are on a sinking ship. We were on a sinking ship, perishing. But in mercy and love, he reached down and brought us up out of the deep, clothed us with his own beauty, and applied his spirit, his salve of righteousness. And not only are we redeemed and married, Isaiah declares we are also a holy people, priests of the Lord, ministers of our God. It's Isaiah 61.6, all of us, all believers. Peter says the Lord calls us a kingdom of priests in 1 Peter 2.9. And I often ask myself, and now you, do we really get a hold of that? Because the Lord really wants us to. These words in our text today were delivered through the prophetic voice of Isaiah for the people of God returning to Jerusalem from Babylon and from the Babylonian exile, but they are meant for all of us returning from our own exile. Isaiah 61 begins to look at the citizens of Zion, that city on which the glory of the Lord rises, Isaiah 60, verse 1. In chapter 61, Isaiah describes the people to whom God is married, and they are happy people. They are rejoicing. They know they are a people the Lord has blessed, 61.9. So 
I have to ask, why is it we aren't always happy? <laughs> day in and day out. I do think part of it is due to the fact that while here on earth we are still growing in the grace and knowledge of our Savior, as Peter puts it in 2 Peter 3.18. And in the flesh we often experience resistance to grace. And then there's the suffering we encounter in this life. It was so with the Israelites as well. But when reading Isaiah, we must try and remember that we are actually one up on the Israelites of Isaiah's day, that one being Jesus, because we know who our Redeemer is and that he lives and that he is coming again. So our joy comes in rejoicing in what we know. Mother Teresa once said, never let anything so fill you with sorrow as to make you forget the joy of Christ risen. And that's a good thought to take into Holy Week. We also know that the holy city of Zion, of which Isaiah writes, looks ahead to the hit city spoken of by the Apostle John in the book of Revelation, and that it has not yet come down from heaven, except as it is made manifest by the Holy Spirit of Christ in the lives of believers in us. So what does the prophet Isaiah urge on the future occupants of Jerusalem in 62, 6, and 7? He says, you who call on the Lord, give yourselves no rest and give him, that is the Lord, no rest till he establishes Jerusalem and makes her the praise of the earth. That means we are to ceaselessly pray to the Lord for the establishment of the eternal holy city Zion and at the same time for the transformation of all the lives of its citizens. It's the prayer of the church for the return of Christ and the establishment of our eternal home because we are the bride of Christ and we say, come Lord Jesus. Chapter 60 through 66 of Isaiah correspond to the book of Revelation. God is unveiling the future. He's drawing back the veil, the curtain. He's showing us as much as we need to know about the future to keep our hope alive. Chapter 60 is about the church triumphant uh, and basking in the glory light of the living Lord that Donna spoke so beautifully of last time. Chapter 61 is about the church exultant. So please open your Bibles to chapter 61 and hear the words of the Lord. I think it's important for us to read together this entire chapter. And I'm reading from the NIV. So if you haven't had time to do it before, here's your chance. <laughs> this is the Messiah. Think of this as the Messiah speaking, Jesus. The spirit of the so sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn and provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair, 
They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. They will rebuild the ancient ruins and restore the places long devastated. They will renew the ruined cities that have been devastated for generations. Aliens will shepherd your flocks. Foreigners will work your fields and vineyards. And you will be called priests of the Lord. You will be named ministers of our God. You will feed on the wealth of nations, and in their riches you will boast. Instead of their shame, my people will receive a double portion. And instead of disgrace, they will rejoice in their inheritance. And so they will inherit a double portion in their land, and everlasting joy will be theirs. For I, the Lord, love justice. I hate robbery and iniquity. In my faithfulness, I will reward them and make an everlasting covenant with them. Their descendants will be known among the nations and their offspring among the peoples. All who see them will acknowledge that they are a people the Lord has blessed. And now Zion, his people uh, living there, are, is speaking now. I delight greatly in the Lord. My soul rejoices in my God. For he has clothed me with garments of salvation and arrayed me in a robe of righteousness as a bridegroom adorns his head like a priest and a bride adorns herself with her jewels. For as the soil makes the sprout come up and the garden causes seeds to grow, so the sovereign Lord will make righteousness and praise spring up before all nations. Thanks be to God. In Isaiah 61, it's Isaiah, it's, he's speaking in his own voice, though it is principally, as we've said, the voice of the Messianic servant to come. An NIV note reads, Isaiah predicted primarily the liberation of Israel from the future Babylonian captivity, but Jesus proclaimed liberation from sin and all its consequences. Isaiah and Jesus both spoke in the spirit of the Lord because without the anointing of the Spirit, a prophet and a preacher would not know the future nor have any good news to tell. And the good news to be told is that the people who had been in bondage and in exile are now set free to plant and be planted forever. A planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor, 61.3, and to rebuild that which had been destroyed. 61.4. When Jesus went back to his hometown in Nazareth where he was raised, where his friends and family lived, he quoted from this chapter when he spoke in the synagogue. You can read it in Luke 4.16-21. Jesus ended the Isaiah quote with the word favor, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. He did not go on to speak of the day of vengeance of our God, the day of judgment, probably because that is not to come about until he returns. Though that time is referred to in the first few lines of Isaiah, chapter 63, and in the book of Revelation. So in March, I shared some of my thoughts on this passage with Sherry Larson, some of you know her, and she then add, added a few from her own studies and said I could pass them on. Sherry uh, shared that Jesus' father spoke these words of favor stroke acceptable 
translated as well-pleased, as blessing over Jesus on two occasions and in the hearing of others, at his baptism and his transfiguration. The word acceptable is actually favor or favorable in Hebrew and is used only two other times in the Old Testament, in Isaiah 49.8 in regard to the restoration of Israel and in Isaiah 58.5 in regard to acceptable fasting. Sherry went on to write, so Jews listening to Jews in the Jesus in the synagogue would have known that he was using a Jewish form of teaching, a connection that brings together several passages. He also didn't finish his reading of the Isaiah 61 passage, but stopped before the day of vengeance of our God to comfort all that mourn, because that was actually going to be fulfilled in his own body through his death and resurrection. So Sherry points out that first God's vengeance on sin is met and all that it has caused the race of Adam and Eve and then follows the comfort of the resurrection as well as all the planting and rebuilding that Isaiah predicts will come forth in the rest of Isaiah 61. Double portion, everlasting joy, seed, offspring, wedding joy. Jesus' reading paused until his passion. And then he fulfilled in his body this word and this work. So for now, Jesus came to usher in grace. And when he had finished speaking, he sat down. In other words, Jesus has spoken ex cathedra. Ex meaning from and cathedra meaning seat. He speaks and teaches from the seat of authority. And then to emphasize the point regarding himself, Jesus says, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. So Luke followed this quote with the eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. And yes, I imagine they were. At first the people of the town and region spoke well of him, but upon further reflection, they became furious and wanted to drive him out of town. Who does he think he is? So it really should not be a surprise to us that when we, in the spirit, speak the good news to friends and family members who do not yet know the Lord, that we find they may react similarly. Still, we are called to do so, to preach the good news to everyone. Mark 16, 15. Chapter 62 begins, for Zion's sake, I will not keep silent. For Jerusalem's sake, I will not remain quiet till her righteousness shines out like the dawn, her salvation like a blazing torch. The nations will see your righteousness and all kings your glory. You will be called by a new name that the mouth of the Lord will bestow. You will be a crown of splendor in the Lord's hand, a royal diadem in the hand of your God. Isaiah is saying that God really can't rest till all this happens. And these beginning words to chapter 62 make my gemologist's heart beat a little faster. Crown of splendor, royal diadem in the hand of your God. That is what our husband, our maker, wants to make of us. As with the master cutter schooled in gem cutting with his excellent technical knowledge, and skill, our maker and creative designer will gather us up, 
as the rough and tumbled broken pieces we've become in life through sin and will refashion us into the precious light reflecting rainbow gems who will sparkle in his land like jewels in a crown. Zechariah 9.16. You can read about all those precious gems in Revelation. So we will make up Zion, the holy city of Jerusalem. That's our destiny. And because of that, we will be called sought after. Isaiah 62.12. Nations will see our righteousness, the righteousness bestowed on us by the Lord, and we will be given a new name to reflect a new status. Isaiah 62.2 and Revelation 2.17. But before all that can be fulfilled, both Isaiah and the book of Revelation address the day of vengeance, the day of judgment. Isaiah has been looking through a telescope. He's been seeing all periods of history together. Chapter 63 and 64 introduce a very serious and dramatic revelation of the future. Isaiah has just been given a view of a new Jerusalem and a new earth, but this vision in chapter 63 now seems to jar him. He sees someone coming from Basra, a city in Edom, a city meaning great gathering and a kingdom in enmity with God's people. It is a strong man with garments stained crimson. The word Edom actually means red. An NIV note explains that Edom here symbolizes a world that hates God's people. When Jerusalem was destroyed and the Israelites were taken to Babylon, the Edomites both gloated and participated in Jerusalem's downfall. You can read about that in Obadiah. But God says the Edomites will be judged. Even in the mournful song of Psalm 137, by the rivers of Babylon we sat and wept. God's people cried out, remember, O Lord, what the Edomites did on the day Jerusalem fell. And as Donna said last time, Isaiah is preparing us for the picture of the Messiah as the sovereign conqueror. So now follow along as I read Isaiah 63, 1-6. Who is this coming from Edom, from Basra, with his garment stained crimson? Who is this robed in splendor, striding forward in the greatness of his strength? It is I, speaking in righteousness, mighty to save. Why are your garments red like those of one treading the winepress? I have trodden the winepress alone from the nations. No one was with me. I trampled them in my anger and trod them down in my wrath. Their blood spattered my garments and I stained all my clothing. For the day of vengeance was in my heart and the year of my redemption has come. I looked, but there was no one to help. I was appalled that no one gave support. So my own arm worked salvation for me, and my own wrath sustained me. I trampled the nations in my anger. In my wrath I made them drunk and poured out their blood on the ground. That image of the one covered in red striding forward, alone, 
makes Isaiah pray the question, why? Why are your garments red like those of one treading the wine press? This question takes us back to Isaiah 16.10, where treading out the wine presses refers to when the grapes were trampled on and the juice flowed into the wine vat. It is often a figure of judgment in scripture and for the Lord's cup of wrath in Isaiah 51.17. The question always also takes us forward to Revelation 19.13, where we see Christ dressed in a robe, dressed, dipped in blood, as he wages war at his second coming. And as you can see, it takes me to the words of the Battle Hymn of the Republic. Mine eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. He is trampling out the vintage where the grapes of wrath are stored. He hath loosed the faithful lightning of his terrible swift sword, and his truth is marching on. Glory, glory, hallelujah. The Lord has remembered. It is the day of his judgment on the enemy and at the same time, the redemption of his people. He comes alone and with his own arm works salvation. This is a parallel verse to Isaiah 59, 16. God's saving righteousness, 63, 1, results in his wrath being poured out. In verse 6, the people are drunk on it, and the blood poured on the ground means the battle here is compared to a sacrifice, as in Isaiah 34, 6. So just try and picture what Isaiah sees. In this vision, Isaiah, Isaiah sees Edom, his and our enemy, destroyed by the one who is mighty to save. He, like John, sees the Messiah, our Lord Jesus Christ, in the distance, yes, but coming alone and in triumph, marching from Edom to Jerusalem to all who wait. And we who wait say, Amen, come Lord Jesus. So let us pray. Lord, have mercy. Your words to us and mighty acts are sometimes too big for us to fully take in. But we are so grateful that you show us your plan and we can place our lives and our future in your strong arms, those same arms that enfold us and carry us home. You are mighty to save. May we ever praise and bless your name with our lips and with our lives.